everyone. Welcome into this Labor Day edition of the WTOC Sports Podcast. Jake Wallace, Lindsey Goff with you after the first Friday night of high school football in the state of Georgia. It's also game week for most of the college football teams that are playing this fall. So an exciting time to be a football fan. Lindsay, you were out there with me at Memorial Stadium uh, catching up on Benedictine and Burt County Friday. And I'll just ask you straight off the top, what did it feel like to be back in a stadium watching an actual high school football game that counted? Well, for me personally, it felt a little different just because it was my first week back at work even. Um, So a big change there, but there were a lot of differences than we would normally see. Um, All the players have to bring their own water jugs. So you saw all of them sit their water jugs out on the sideline. They came in masked up. Um, Obviously the social distancing guidelines in the stadium and you saw constant reminders flashing across the scoreboard. Remember to stay six feet apart. Remember to wear your mask. Constant reminders. And so it was football and it was normal football, but it looked a little different as most things do right now. Um, But we still saw some good football out there and it was good, I think, for all of us to be back and to have high school football and soon to be college football back as a welcome distraction. Yeah, being there uh, pregame Friday, because we were doing live shots earlier in the afternoon, and and this is just at Memorial Stadium. I think everybody kind of has their own set way of doing things. But I know that, you know, at Memorial, there were only 20 kids allowed in the locker room at a time. No coaches were allowed in the locker room. And so you had yeah. these kind of – it was kind of shifts that people would – that players would take to go get dressed, and then they'd come out and just – stand on the field and get ready and that's where coaches met with the team and this that and the other and I asked Danny Britt kind of afterwards how different was this he was like yeah it was it was it was way different especially he said you know because I'm focusing on so many different things um, and I think that's probably about how all coaches feel right now but the one thing that they do know is we've got one game in the books and you know this was a goal but it's not the end goal obviously for high school football you want to get to the end of the season with minimal problems, no problems if you can do it, but I think that's probably way out of reach, but minimal problems. You want to get to the point where you're crowning a champion um, here in Georgia in December in Atlanta. So uh, week one in the books, it was nice to have high school football back, but I think it's one of these things where you have to say, Hey, that's the first week down. That's just part of what we want. We want to get through the whole season And so hopefully people don't let their guard down or anything like that. And we can continue on with Friday nights uh, in the near future. And there were some teams that, that hoped that as well, because they got off to a great start this season. Uh, Richmond Hill was, was one of them. The Wildcats go down to Kingsland and, and really just beat Camden County, the sixth ranked team in class seven A's preseason polls. It was not a, a cheap win. It was nothing like that. They won the game decisively 28-11. And for the Wildcats, Lindsay, their ninth win in their last 10 games dating back to last season. And people in the state noticed Richmond Hill moving up, moving up to fourth in the class 6A poll from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And they did it their way. They did it running the football and they did it playing defense. Ashad Robinson, Kenyon Hunter uh, combining for more than 160 yards and four touchdowns on 34 carries. I talked to Matt Lazat before the season. 
He said, we're going to be a, a, a football team built on the, our offensive and defensive line, and we're going to run the football. They did it Friday night, and they beat a Camden County team that a lot of people had really high expectations for this season. Yeah, you wondered how Richmond Hill would come back after that run they had last year and losing some players. We mentioned they had to replace those touchdowns, and they seem to have done it. Um, so no, no lagging here for Richmond Hill. They continued that hard work from last winter, I guess, essentially, through the summer of uncertainty and – now they're back and they're opening the season with a win. We mentioned they got off to a rough start last year. Um, it seems this year is going a little smoother for them so far week one. Yeah, the Wildcats going to make the travel, the trip down to Waycross next week, another tough test in the Ware County Gators at Memorial Stadium. A team that you and I both saw Friday night. Lindsay was one of our impressive teams, and that was the uh, Benedictine Cadets. Yeah, <laughs> and they looked good. Um, Burke County, at first it was getting a little out of hand. Burke County able to score a little bit. Um, had it close for a little bit. Benedictine able to pull away. Trent Broadnax, man, what a, what a night he had. He was making plays on both ends of the field. There was one point in the game he forced a fumble uh, and recovered it to get, to get the ball back and then wound up scoring as well. So on both sides of the ball, really making an impact for the cadets. Yeah. I spoke with Broadnax and a couple of members of this, this BC offense, and, and they said, we want to be the best offense in the state, and we think we can do it. And they were as explosive as they can be. Five touchdowns of 60-plus yards. That's in, that includes two special teams touchdowns. Scored 58 points on a night when, when Danny Britt told me after the game, hey, we had some mistakes. We got to clean some stuff up on offense. You're scoring 58 points on not your best night. You have the potential to be – one of the best offenses in the state. Um, they were they were really good. They looked tremendous. Uh, Broadnax, Justin, you know, Justin Thomas, Zaquan Bryan, LaShawn Brooks. They just have speed all over the field, and they buried Burke County with it. I think the thing to me that was most interesting about what BC did was, you mentioned, they jumped out quick. It was 21-0 before a lot of people could even blink. And then Burke County kind of put together a couple drives, got back in it, got it to within two scores, and BC pulled away. And then in the second half, BC had a chance to really put it away with the ball coming out of half. Burke stops him, gets a touchdown, puts it back to two touchdowns. And just like that, the cadets pour it on one, two scores real quick and pulled away again. I thought that was really interesting to see out of the team, the ability to, to find that extra gear and do that in the first week of the season. A team I saw briefly Friday night was Savannah Christian, 38-14 winners over ECI over at Pooler Stadium. Spencer Robichaux, the senior quarterback for the Raiders, three touchdown passes. Baker Woodward told me at the beginning of the year, he said, man, if, if we don't get this year, I'm finding a way to get Robichaux an extra year eligibility. And he looked tremendous kind of running that offense. This was a Raider team that had to replace some guys that were big spark plugs for them and, and really made plays happen. They had the ability to do that and did it against a really tough physical ECI team and, and really didn't have any trouble at all with the Bulldogs. Uh, the Raiders going to go to Screven County this Friday, but I thought they were as impressive as anyone that I saw really from all over the state on Friday night was the Savannah Christian Raiders. Anytime you can throw for three touchdown passes, it's not a bad day. 
He also had a, like a 43-yard scamper where he, he made a guy miss and then ran down and, and stepped out of bounds to set up the, the Raiders' first touchdown in the first quarter. And, and Robichaud's got some wheels. He doesn't run it probably as much as some other guys that are known for speed, but he's got the ability to do that. And he has command of this offense in his third year as a starter. And the team to me, and they might've been the most impressive team, is Bullock Academy. Thursday night opening the season for, for kind of everybody in our area and, and made a statement, 32 to two over Savannah Country Day, Thursday night at Gator Alley in Statesboro. This is a country day team, Lindsay, that went 10-0 in the regular season last year, won a region title, and was ranked in some of the, the Class A private polls before the season. And Bullock Academy, a GISA team, a really good GISA team, mind you, but still a GISA team laying the wood to a, a team that some folks had some high hopes for on GHSA. Now, the season's certainly not over for country day, but Bullock Academy – uh, I think opened a whole lot of eyes Thursday night with a 30 point win over the Hornets. Not letting them score a touchdown. I mean, that's a testament to the defense for sure. Right. And, and it, it comes in the debut for head coach, Steve Pennington, who's taking over the Gators this year. Who's been, he's been everywhere, man, you know, um, coach just about everywhere at every level. Um, but taking over a Bullock Academy team and, and had some time taken away, obviously due to COVID I uh, got to speak with Coach Pennington about that, about his team's win, and what's next for the Gators. Here's my interview with Bullock Academy head coach, Steve Pennington. Well, Coach, a pretty uh, nice debut for you and the Bullock Academy Gators in 2020, a 32-2 victory over Country A, a team that went undefeated in the regular season a year ago, won a region title in the Georgia High School Association. What did you take away from, from Thursday's win? Well, I, I, I take away that uh, we've been diligent in trying to stay on course uh, in in the process of getting our players to trust us. And what I take away is that there's evidence that that is taking place. Um, it with the new staff, new systems in place. It it, it it's a sale every day to get your players to believe in what you're trying to do. And, and our players are responding beautifully. And I think that really helped us gain some momentum in the game and give us some confidence as it went on. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Rodney Hill, Cam Harrison, you're kind of running back duo with a nice performance on Thursday, helping lead to that 30-point win. I was going to ask, you've been a coach for a long time, but this is your first year at Bullock Academy. I'm sure your being around them has kind of been minimal because of this virus. How did you feel going into Thursday's game based on kind of how this offseason has gone? Well, I'll tell you, uh, is that, you know, con considering the, the circumstances that we're all living under, uh, either either you're going to let the circumstances dictate your mind, your, your mood, your heart, your desires, or else you're going to have to rise above the circumstances. And with all the protocols that we have in place at school, uh, the quarantines we've had to go through with some of our players, we stayed the course that – 
we're going to persevere and we're going to endure and we're not going to let things happen our spirits and create a negative atmosphere. So we have tried to maintain a positive spirit, never let failure enter enter our mind. Uh, on a daily basis uh, and and I'm telling you that has been maybe the greatest challenge in the world rather than teaching a scheme because this is something that we have to face with each and every day it's our greatest opponent not just at Bullock Academy but throughout this state for every coach and every player that's going through it uh, you know day in and day out and so with that said we've just stayed the course and uh, like I said, try to be positive in everything we do. Speaking with Steve Pennington, head coach of Bullock Academy, fresh off a 32-2 victory over Savannah Country Day to open the season. Coach, you've been around a long time. You've coached at just about every level in the state of Georgia. Now at, at a GISA school, and we're starting to see some more of these matchups between GISA and GHSA programs with kind of the power rankings and those now done away with. How cool is that for for the entire state and especially for for schools like yours where you have players that kind of probably feel like they have something to prove when they get to play some of these GHSA schools? I'm sure it it ramps up the energy level in each one of our players, uh, you know. But but the bottom line, though, is that in the end, what's important is the spirit of competition. And I, and I think to a person and to a player, that's what our, our focus is at Bullock Academy. Uh, because the only thing we can control is the level uh, and the spirit that we want to compete at. And when the lights come on and you're in between those white lines, I don't think in one essence that our players are thinking – Ooh, we got to do good because they're in a different association or they're a bigger classification in schools or things of that nature. Uh, you know, one of the things that we really want to strive at Bullock Academy is having high values and, and have a spirit of competition, learn to compete. It doesn't make a difference who you play. And so if we can get to that point, then – then you can create some comparisons and uh, and from a standpoint where you can create some rivalries and hope that hopefully that you can create some more opportunities to play some different associations. But I do think it speaks well for our players to express confidence and have the confidence and not be intimidated. And that's one thing I was very proud of our players, not once, not one not one time uh, before the game, during the game, did I see any any ounce of intimidation or fear or nervousness. There was total confidence. And that tells me that we are gaining ground on the spirit of competition. But, uh, you know, for, for the GISA, I, I do believe that it was, you know, it, it, it stood out, uh, I think, across the state. I also think for our school, it will provide a great amount of confidence in what we accomplished the other night. But we also understand, too, that uh, that's only one game, and it's over with, and we got to move on because we got another one this week uh, in the same boat, and it's just going to be uh, another great challenge before us. 
Yeah, that that coming up this Friday night at Calvary here in Savannah. Coach wanted to ask you kind of what you see out of the Cavaliers. It's it's a team you've been around, you've seen them a lot. What do you know about this year's version, and what are you expecting to see Friday night? Well, first of all, Coach Proud and I we go back many, 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 many years to our teenage years. We know each other, and just a great friendship there. What I do know is they're going to be well-prepared and well-coached. Uh, he, he's a tremendous, and I know he gets the most out of his staff, who gets the most out of their players. What I see is uh, I didn't know we were going to be playing the Green Bay Packers. They have some big boys down there <laughs> and big boys who play physical football. Uh, they are not shy of putting a hat on you and blocking you and tackling you. And so uh, we've got to prepare ourselves to be mentally tough, to be physically tough. Uh, we have to match their physicality uh, to, to hang in there. Uh, they, they uh, and all of that, they also have a great tradition down there that has been a mainstay for years under Coach Stroud. But... Uh, one thing I like about them, out of respect, is that they they are multiple on offense, and I think they do have a young quarterback there. But he's in a position to where he's got a lot of good people around him to where you can get behind a big offensive line. They've got a great tight end, great running back, good receivers. So they got a package, and they do a lot of – variety of things offensively that puts the pressure on the defense and then defensively again uh, that defensive front is going to be a challenge so we've got to come up with some innovative ways to try to counter that because I'm not so sure that we we can match up physically with what they what they put on the field so it's going to take a lot of uh, midnight oil to find out what that matchup is going to be to work in our favor. But if we get it, I think we'll compete very well and hope things come out our way. Well, Coach, I won't waste any more of your time. I'll let you get to it. Appreciate the time. Head Coach Steve Pennington of the Bullock Academy Gators, 1-0 on the season after a big win against Country Day last Thursday, getting ready to make the trip to Calvary this Friday night in a game that I think is going to have a lot of eyes on it after what you guys did last week. Coach, thanks for the time. Good luck this Friday. We'll see you again soon. Thank you, Jake. I want to thank Coach Pennington for the time. Again, Bullock Academy traveling to Calvary Day on Friday night. They'll take on the Cavaliers at the Specialty Sports Complex, a game that is probably going to have a whole lot of eyes on it from around our area. Just a couple other teams uh, to note that impressed Matter 28-0 winners at Swainsboro. It's the Tigers' first win over Swainsboro since 1955. Matter continuing their success from 2019 so far here early in 2020. And then how about Jeff Davis went down to Lincolnton, taking on number nine in the Class A public polls, the Lincoln County Red Devils with new head coach Lee Chomsk, who Lee Chomskis, easy for me to say, who of course had that run at Vidalia. Jeff Davis knew him well. The Yellow Jackets leaving Lincolnton with a 24-14 win. So two more teams that impressed Friday night. And of course, we've got another Friday night coming up this week with some games we'll have more previews of Friday night's biggest games coming up on the end zone version of this podcast later this week. 
want to turn our attention now, though, to college football. And we've had a couple appetizers, a little nibble here and there from two weeks ago when we saw uh, Central Arkansas and Austin P go at it in Montgomery to this Saturday, Labor Day Saturday, where we saw a couple of some, some good games across the area and some really big performances. Army was the one that stuck out to me, shutting out Middle Tennessee and doing it in Army fashion. But now is really the big Saturday. This is when everybody kind of gets going, everybody except at least the, the SEC. And, and that means all of our, most of our local teams, Georgia Tech's visiting Florida State at 3.30 to open up the 2020 ACC season. Clemson's going to Wake Forest. That's a 7.30 game Saturday night from Winston-Salem. And then the game right here in our area, Campbell at Georgia Southern, it's a, a, an early kick in Statesboro, an afternoon kickoff in Statesboro to kick off the 2020 season. This is a Georgia Southern team that's gone to two straight bowl games and probably in some fans' eyes may have left some stuff on the table. Twice in the last two years, they've been in the driver's seat for at least the Sunbelt East title and a couple untimely losses and still bowl games, but Eagle fans probably wanting a little more. 2020 may be the year to do it. Got everybody back, at least as an offensive skill position in mm -hmm. the front seven that dominated. Lindsay, what, do you, what are you looking forward to first in terms of a college football Saturday, a full college football Saturday? What am I looking forward to? <laughs> Being there. I uh, really missed it. Um, as far as Georgia Southern goes, I'm excited to see this offense and see how Shy Works can take that next step as a leader on the offense and as Georgia Southern's quarterback. You mentioned they've got most of their offensive weapons back. The defense certainly going to be missing Kendall Vildor. But I I'm interested to see the Georgia Southern offense and how they continue to progress and grow having Shy Works one last go-round. Yeah, this, this offense – it was kind of a microcosm last year. Works was great in 2018 and admits to himself. He took a step back in 2019 and kind of the offense did as well. They took a step back from where they were in 2018. Works has been critical of his own play. He's been his biggest critic and, and said some things that, that makes me feel like he's going to have a really good year. He's extra motivated. I think he's, he, he mentioned his first practice back and you're going to hear more on this in just a minute on He's at peace, obviously had a, a turbulent offseason with everything that happened to him off the field. He's in a new headspace now, and, and we've seen him grow as a, as a leader on this team off the field, grow in his voice. It's, it's, it's weird, you know, the first thing I ever did covering Georgia Southern was covering the Eagles getting ready to go to Auburn. And that was three years ago when Shy Wirtz was named – the starting quarterback going to Auburn to make his first start. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, they are putting a child in the backfield against Auburn's defensive line. But to see him grow from there to now, I, like you, am excited to see what Shy has in store for 2020, as I do for the rest of this Eagles offense. I think it's going to be a really fun year in Statesboro. Another guy who thinks it's going to be a really fun year, the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed. He and I got to talk about this Georgia Southern football team for a good conversation. Nobody knows more about this team on the outside of the locker room than Danny Reed, and he was willing to join us for a few minutes. Here's that conversation. All right, we got the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed, 
willing to spend a few minutes with us on the WTOC Sports Podcast. Danny, we're just a few days from kicking off Georgia Southern football, and I'll ask you this straight off. Did you think at any point that there was not going to be a Georgia Southern season? I always thought that there would be a year, and I didn't know if it was going to be September the 5th, October, November, in the spring. I had no idea what it was going to look like, but I was always under the impression that every effort was going to be made to play. And I do applaud the six FBS conferences that are going through with it because they've got a good enough information that they can give it a shot. I don't have any ill will towards the other four that said they couldn't because they're going off of the information that they have. But I think that if these guys can do things this way, keep things as safe as possible, be responsible, try to create those bubbles as much as they can, then this is going to be as close to normal as we're going to get. It's going to be different. And obviously Paulson's going to be a little different with the maximum capacity limits and everything like that. But it is going to be football. And we'll talk a little football now just a couple days away. When you talk Georgia Southern, you know what you're getting. Triple option, running the football. And this team has everyone who rushed the ball at least once coming back in 2020. But still, this was an offense that did struggle. Eighth in scoring last year in the Sun Belt. Ninth in total offense and possibly most egregious, second in rushing. They did not lead the conference in rushing. That's a big deal for, for folks. But what do you see about the, this offense that's promising for 2020? Well, I think what got people perked up in the spring was that Bob DeBest, the offensive coordinator, talked so much about wanting to get the passing game going. And granted, when you run this out of the gun and the pistol, you've got to have the enhanced flexibility to throw the football at their discretion, not necessarily whenever you're getting into second and 20 or third and 18, where that simply dictates what you have to do. But there's there is a depth of receivers on this team right now. It's maybe one of the deepest receiving cores that Georgia Southern has had in a while. Darion Anderson has largely been considered as a huge prospect, and everybody in this league knows how talented he is, but just by the nature of the offense, there's not going to be a whole lot of opportunities to catch the football, even though he's averaging nearly 30 yards a catch in his career. But the idea in the spring that the passing game has to be fine-tuned and in Bob DeBess's words has to be remade. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think that makes the running game stronger. It increases confidence because you can do more with the football instead of saying, okay, we're going to run it at you 70 times per game. This isn't like it was back in 1997 where you're just going to hand it to Adrian Peterson and you're just going to be able to do that to everybody. It's not the nature of it anymore. Defenses are better. Defenses are bigger. They're faster. They're stronger. I know that sounds cliche, but you have to give people different looks when you do it this way. And of course, I'm saying this as many people on the CBS Sports Network probably watched Army just run right through Middle Tennessee last Saturday, but they've got the personnel to do it and they do it just as good, if not better than anybody else from under center when you run the flex bone. But this system, which was instituted in the 2014 season when Willie Fritz came over with Doug Roos, and we know Doug is back on staff now as the tight ends coach, it's proven that it can be done out of the gun and the pistol with a lot of different window dressing, as Bob likes to call it, with motions, with back placing. It's the same idea, but if you can make the defense think, then you have them. And I'll, I'll say this. I've been to practice a couple of times. I know you're there a good bit. Shy Wirtz looks tremendous as a thrower of the football this year. He said how much this offseason he worked on that aspect of the game. The receivers look great. But Shy has really been dropping some dimes 
in practice. And also a guy who looks motivated and look like, looks like he might be the best player on the field at all times, Wesley Kennedy the third guy looks faster than he's ever looked, and he was fast before. I'll start with Shy, and that's actually something I noticed before 2019 is how well Shy looked throwing the football, but with everything that happened to him and then getting hurt against LSU, and I still don't know if he was ever 100% last year. He'll tell you he was towards the end of the season. His numbers went down a little bit, but you take two full games out of that, you give him back and how important he is to that offense. Maybe he equals or exceeds what he did in 2018. But I think what's going to be important for him, and I love this quote he had. This was after the first day of practice, just right around a month ago. He said he has his piece back. And Mm -hmm. I thought that that was such an impactful thing that he said. We know what he can do with the ball in his hands, with his feet. But I think now that his mind is in a place where he can fully lead this team and they can look back at him because they know what he's gone through. But now that he has this piece that he says, I think that this is going to be his best year. He's on the verge of breaking multiple Georgia Southern records, possibly some Sunbelt Conference records. We'll keep an eye on those as the season moves on. But to talk more about Kennedy, goodness, the physical transformation he's made since he's gotten, I mean, he's always been cut up, but ever since he's gotten in Matt Greenhall's program, he's put on weight, he's gotten faster, and the thing that we said a year ago when he missed the first four games, he was playing like he was trying to catch up, because he was, but Mm -hmm. even so, he still led the team in rushing, he had that three-game stretch in the middle of the year that was Matt Breida-esque, breaking off big runs, touchdowns, Pretty much every time he touched the football, he ran that punt back against New Mexico State, giving him a full season, not just to see what else he can do running the football. I think he's going to be more involved in the passing game. Because if you Mm -hmm. think in 2018, he started that season as a slot receiver before against New Mexico State, he got moved into the backfield because of some injuries, and he really hasn't left that. He can catch the football, and I think this year he's going to get the opportunity to do so. And with Shy throwing it to him, that should make that offense even more dangerous. I know he's in a little weird spot as kind of in this offense. Is He's kind of a receiver. He's kind of a running back. But the fact that he's not a first-team all-offense player in the Sun Belt, to me, is a little bit disrespectful. Did get there as a return specialist, but he's one of the best offensive players in this conference. There's no doubt about it defensively this team was dominant against the run last year but did struggle a little bit on the back end and you look at this 2020 personnel almost everybody from that front sevens in the, is back but in the back there's there's some new guys back there and you lose your two stalwarts at quarterback in Kendall Vildor and Monquavian Brinson how is this defense going to shake out in 2020? I think it's going to have to rely a lot on that front seven, at least to start. And I anticipate this defense, this third installment of a Scott Sloan defense in Statesboro, I think they're going to be the most aggressive that they've been. If you think to 2018, they ran a lot of base stuff and they only gave up 21 points per game. They used those first couple of series, not necessarily as the rope-a-dope or whatever, but hey, let's see what you have. We know what we're going to be able to do. And then they just went into shutdown mode. Last year, great against the run, tackles for loss went up. Both of those numbers were the highest they had been since 2010. So I think there's proof that when this defense shows its aggression because of the new personality that these guys have, and so many of them back from 19, I think if they're more pressure sound, or how could I put this better, if they're more 
geared towards pressure this year, mm -hmm. I think that's going to help an inexperienced back four. And Colin and I have talked about this a couple of times in the offseason. Regardless of what combination of cornerbacks Georgia Southern uses against Campbell on the 12th, the most combined career starts at corner is going to be one. And that was Justin Birdsong last year against Coastal Carolina. Now, Daryl Baker has moved back to corner, but he made some starts at Nickelback in 2017, but he's played some corner. What, whatever it's going to be, there is talent. It just needs to be developed. And then at safety, Kendrick Duncan is by far your most known commodity. I think he's going to end up being one of the best safeties that's ever played here. He has that kind of upside. He is massive. He runs well. He hits. And then bringing Javon Singletary in to replace Donald Rutledge, who – ended up moving on to the NFL. I think Singletary showed what he could do in the bowl game. He had the interception against Liberty, a year more of experience. There's a ton of guys that I think are going to play, not just against Campbell, but as Scott Sloan continues to work through some combinations, it's a lot of chance for guys to prove who they are. Yeah, and, and listen, that front seven has been tremendous. It, watching guys not only play fast, play physical, but play like they're having a lot of fun, especially led by the new number zero, Raymond Johnson III. <laughs> I think this defense has a little something to prove in 2020, and I think this will be a good year to do it. Special teams is weird, man. It's, it's not often you get to talk about special teams when you're previewing something, but when, when your past two kickers are now playing in the NFL, you got you to gotta give a little love to the special teams. Tyler Bass, a fan favorite, clutch kick after clutch kick, the big booming leg. How do you replace that? You don't. Yeah. You don't replace it, but whoever it is, whether it's Dylan Lewis, whether it's Bryce Christensen, whether it's Alex Rayner, they have to be themselves. Young Way Koo wasn't coming in trying to be the next Tim Foley. He was the first Young Way Koo. Tyler Bass wasn't trying to be the second Young Way Koo. He was trying to be the first Tyler Bass. And if you think to what Bass did, all of those accolades, he did it in three years because in 2016, after his redshirt year, he was just doing kickoffs. He kicked in one game. He did those extra points against Savannah State, but it was still Young Way Koo's deal that year. He went 19 out of 20. Bass is the full-blown kicker the last three years, set the school record with 20 field goals a year ago, very deservedly the starter now for the Buffalo Bills. Dylan Lewis has been the guy who's gotten the most reps in camp. He's made a couple of 50-yarders during team period. As far as who the kickoff guy is going to be, I think they're still working through that. We know that Ryan Langan is going to be the long snapper. We know that Anthony Beck is going to be the punter. We love the fact that Beck has done so well being a local product. I, I do think that considering the track record the last two guys have had, and really they had success right away. Koo came in as a freshman, bombing kicks. Bass, even though he redshirted in 15, everybody knew the potential. But to see him end his career as well as he did, I think he exceeded even his own expectations. But now, given Dylan Lewis, given Bryce Christensen, Alex Rayner, whoever it ends up being, given them their shot, who's to say that they won't be the third kicker in a row that could play in the NFL. I know that's four years, five years down the line, but you weren't necessarily thinking that with Koo and Bass when they started out. Yeah, Koo, of course, the starting kicker for the Atlanta Falcons. Tyler Bass, the now starting kicker for the Buffalo Bills and also on Jake Wallace's fantasy team. Go, Tyler go. Bass, go. Danny Reed, the voice of the Eagles, joining us on the WTOC Sports Podcast. Danny, who's the guy that Georgia Southern fans may not know very well right now, but maybe midway, midway through the season – he's going to be one of their favorite players. 
I'll start on defense because he's been really impressive. Jalen Jackson, freshman outside linebacker from Athens. We're watching camp very early on in this number 40 starts making play after play after play. And fortunately, Brian Johnston, our SID, has rosters available. So we're calling and looking at each other. Who is this guy? So he just starts making all these plays. And I've talked with Scott Sloan a couple of times. They love him. They think he's going to be really good. I think he's going to play a lot in this first game against Campbell. He's just got that build where he's not a freshman. I think he looks like a junior or a senior right now. And we know how important outside linebacker is in this 3-4 defense, considering the Jay Bowdry, Lane Ecton, both gone from last year. So you need replacements on that other side. Ben's Hostway is coming back after missing all of last year because of injury. Zion McGee looks like he's going to be the anchor. Randy Wade, of course, is the dog on the other side. I'm a huge Randy Wade fan. I think he's terribly underappreciated by the Sun Belt, and I think this year is going to be a fantastic year for him. And on offense, it's somebody that we've mentioned a couple of times in our post-practice recaps on gseagles.com, the running back Jalen White out of Daleville in Alabama. I know that a lot of his runs have been against second and third and even rookie teams where He's taking advantage of guys that don't necessarily have a lot of experience, but Jalen White is also a freshman. So he doesn't have a whole lot of experience in college as well. But for somebody that set the state rushing record in Alabama last year, I've talked with the guys at Troy. I've talked with some people I know over there. They said he was just toying with people last year. And the fact that Georgia Southern could get him was a big deal. It's a crowded running back room with Kennedy, with Logan Wright coming back off of injury, with J.D. King, with Matt LaRoche. Gerald Green has wedged his way in there after getting some carries middle of last season. It's going to be tough to get him some touches, but considering the fact that the Eagles run the offense that they do and that everybody is going to get this year back anyway, regardless of how many games get played, who's to say that Jalen White couldn't get 50 carries this year? It's a good offense to be in. If, if you got a lot of running backs, hey – it's a good offense to be in. Danny, I'll let you go on this one. The Sunbelt Conference, one of the very few conferences that are playing. And App is, is obviously the favorite going into this season, considering what their last few seasons have been. But there's one team that's beaten App, and it's the Georgia Southern Eagles. Where do you see Southern kind of shaking out in this conference in 2020 that doesn't, I don't think, get a lot of credit for how competitive it is from top to bottom year after year? I think you saw that in the opening weekend with South Alabama looking much improved against Southern Miss. They went to Hattiesburg and they dominated the Golden Eagles. You saw Arkansas State be competitive against Memphis. Texas State looks very improved against the 10-win SMU team from last year. It's so hard to say where Georgia Southern is going to stack up right now because you don't know how COVID is going to impact the rest of the season. You can look at a depth chart now and go into a week where you're set on a certain group of guys that would play and then by Friday, you find out that 15 guys are out. And you may even have to bag a game. It might be a no contest. You don't know how long things are going to linger with this reduced amount of time to get up to speed with limited spring practices. And then this abridged version of camp, is there going to be more soft tissue issues with guys getting more pulls, more strength? Are they going to be more susceptible to injury? South Georgia in September, it's still pretty hot, and these first of games are going to be earlier. So even though these guys may be more used to it than the two teams they're playing in Florida Atlantic and Campbell, I think that that's something that you've got to monitor. And you've already had Georgia Southern miss a week of practice because of their own COVID cluster. I know a lot of people have had to deal with it, but if there is 
one team in this league is App State a run, it is Georgia Southern. I know the first couple of championship games in this league have been App versus Louisiana, rightfully so. I think the Cajuns are outstanding. I think that they may end up being the best team in the league this year. But if Georgia Southern develops, and Coach Lunsford has said this, if Southern develops if they use their talent if the secondary gets up to speed and the front seven dominates like they're capable then Georgia Southern is going to represent the east because they get App State at home this year on a Wednesday night six of their 11 games are at home it is going to be a tough trip up to Army in November and I hope that that game gets played but if you can internalize this as simply looking at what the Eagles can do in the Sun Belt coach is excited about this team everybody's been excited about this 2020 season everything else notwithstanding. If those things happen, then I do think Georgia Southern is going to play for a Sunbelt Championship in December. Put it on the ticker. Don't don't worry about the the, the qualifier there. Danny Reed, quote, Georgia Southern is going to represent the East in the Sunbelt <laughs> Championship. Put it on the ticker. Danny, appreciate the time. You can hear him call the game Saturday, Georgia Southern opening the season against Campbell at home at Paulson Stadium. Didn't know if this day was going to arrive. We didn't know when it was going to be here, but now it is here. Danny, thanks for the time. Look forward to listening to you on Saturday and the rest of this 2020 season. Appreciate it, man. You got it, man. Appreciate it. So Danny will be on the call this Saturday when George Southern hosts Campbell to open the 2020 season. It's a 3.30 kick from Statesboro. Obviously going to be minimal fans in Paulson Stadium, but we'll be there to cover the game. Uh, it's going to be fun. Georgia Southern looking to, to kick off the season and get to a 1-0 start against FCS foe Campbell. Yeah, Campbell's Which, certainly friendlier than LSU, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Playing in the friendly confines against the Campbell <laughs> fighting Camels, a little different experience than going to Death Valley at night yeah, to take yeah. the LSU Tigers. Ease your way so, into it. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to, to this Saturday and, of course, Friday night as well as we, we are into the high school football season. We'll have more on what to expect Friday night coming out in the WTOC Sports Podcast, the end zone version. That'll be out later this week. Lindsay's going to join me to break down some of the big games coming up for you Friday night. It's good to talk sports, isn't it? We're just back here talking sports, and it's nice. It's been a long time, it feels like, and we've had so much talk about if this happens and – you know, it's going to be limited or it's going to be this. So it's good to just talk about the X's and O's and scores and standout players for a change. And we're going to continue to do that right here on the WTOC Sports Podcast. For Lindsay, I'm Jake. Thanks for listening, everyone. Continue to tune in as these podcasts come out throughout the year. We'll be talking to coaches, players, and those who know the game best. We appreciate you listening. Be sure to tune in next time.